listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 174, and today we are talking about books being released on September 4th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Maria Christina Garcia Lynch, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. Yay! Hello, welcome back! Thank you, it's good Thank you for coming back. back. <laughs> yeah, you didn't scare me off. That's good. Uh, so... I would have to say today is possibly the biggest new release day of the fall. It's the first new release day of the fall, although it is 90 degrees right now in Maine. Yeah. It doesn't feel it's, like it's fall. not fall weather it's not really, at all. Yeah, but it's there are so many books. I had I to actually s- write down a bunch of titles and then pick four because I could not decide. Yeah, I I did so much reading for today. It was you know I'm not complaining because that. That Venn diagram of the reading I do for work and for pleasure is basically a circle. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, we're, you definitely know it's fall when you have a list like we do today. Yeah. So I'm going to get started. What if you got for if us, you're Liberty? All right. My first pick today is Small Fry by Lisa Brennan Jobs. She is the first child of Apple founder Steve Jobs. Uh, she, her mother was Chris Ann. She, Chris Ann and Steve were high school sweethearts. Um, so they actually lived together when Chris Ann was still in high school. Uh, she had sort of a tough home life, and her parents didn't really keep track of her, and she ended up living with him, like, when he was a senior. Um, they broke up. They got back together. But he sort of never really forgave her for breaking up with him. Um, somewhere down the line, she got pregnant, and when she told him, he stormed out and didn't talk to her for a very long time. Which is probably not the reaction you want when you tell someone that you're going to have their child. Yeah, um, but not it, so much. It, it's like the beginning of, of um, the idea of like his mercurial personality that comes out throughout his life and throughout his book, you know, seen through his daughter's eyes. Um, so he missed the birth of Lisa. He shows up a few days later and tells everybody there and anyone who will listen that the baby is not his. Like, Chris Ann is like, wow, you know, you know, she's yours, but he tells people, oh. But then, on the other hand, he wants to help name her. Um, they choose Lisa. You can't have it both ways, <laughs> Right? And he ends up, na- he actually, the first computer was called the Lisa. Um, Lisa Brennan Jobs talks about this a little, like, for a little paragraph. Like, he made a computer that was going to do all these things. It was called the Lisa. Um, it didn't work. The ones that they made ended up in a landfill somewhere, but originally the computer was called the Lisa. Uh, so he, but at the same time, he's saying that he's not the father. Uh, Chris Ann and Lisa lived on welfare. They lived in boarding houses for like the first two years of her life. You know, uh, her mother was very, very poor and she had to get state assistance. And finally, in like 1980, the state of California sued Steve Jobs for uh, child. Uh, payments, uh, child care payments. What is the word I'm looking for? I've just child lost. support. Thank you. <laughs> he, they sued him for child support because they were like, "You're Steve Jobs, Ugh. and you know things are going on, and you know you need to help take care of the child." And he continued to insist that she wasn't his daughter. So they even did a test, and then the test showed that she was indeed his daughter. Uh, and it still dragged out. And then suddenly. Like, the, when they didn't think this this trial was ever going to end, like, they were ever going to come to an agreement on child support, he just was like, here you go, we're done, we're good. And it was, like, whiplash fast. And then it turns out that four days later, Apple went public, and it was 
proven that he was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, he just resolved it before they found out, like, oh how much money he actually gosh. had. Yeah. So, and then, and then Lisa doesn't see him. Like, she sees him, like, once, like, in her first ten years, I think, or twice after she's a baby. Um, and her mother is, like, constantly, like, begging him for money. You know, she needs help with Lisa's care. And, like, he, he badmouths her in Time Magazine. He says that he has a child, but he doesn't think that she's hers, even though the DNA test showed that he was her daughter years ago. Like, he's just not the best guy. Um, but she, Lisa becomes interesting to him when she gets older. Like, now that she's not a little child, like, he wants to, to get to know her. And when she's, like, a teenager, she's having, like, a lot of problems with her mom, like mm-hmm. teen girls do, you know. There's, there, nothing has more venom than a teenage girl talking to her mother, you know, like. So the idea of living with Hi, her mom. father, who is, like, a bazillionaire at this point, you know, at that time, uh, is really appealing to her. Sure. And she wants to have a dad, and she wants to get to know him. But again, he's... He's got kind of a hot and cold personality. He has another family. He has a wife and he has other kids and they're not welcoming. She's never made to feel a part of their family. Um, And they just kind of have like this, you know, unreliable relationship. Um, And it, I just, it, her writing is fantastic. Like even if this wasn't a famous man that we know from society, like even if her dad wasn't famous and she was just like writing the story about you know, a guy we don't know, I thought it was so fascinating, and, and I would want to read it just because of her writing. And it's just, it's sad, you know, like, she always wanted her dad to, you know, love her like he loved his other kids, and, it, you know, she had to recognize that it just wasn't going to be that way for her. Um, and, it, she, you know, gives us some insight into Steve Jobs, whether, you know, you're a fan of his or you're not. It was just really fantastic. So, again, it's called Small Fry, and it's by Lisa Brennan Jobs. All right. I felt like we were just gossiping about mutual friends here because it was just like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, tell me more. What happened next? Oh, man. Um, okay. My first pick is The Boy at the Keyhole by Stephen Giles. And um, this is a psychological thriller. It's a real slow burn, though, so don't expect there to be so many crazy twists and turns along the way but it's about this little boy Samuel who is nine years old and his mom has been gone for weeks his housekeeper is looking after him Ruth and Ruth tells him that your mom had to leave in the middle of the night to sail to America to try to find some investors who are going to be interested in keeping the family business afloat so that you can afford to keep this estate that your family lives on. Um, And it's just the two of them. And he didn't get to say goodbye to his mom, and he's missing her so, so much, especially because his dad has been dead for like a year. So She's his only family, and she just left in the middle of the night. Pretty soon, he starts to wonder if the things that Ruth has been telling him are actually true, and he starts to suspect that maybe Ruth did something to his mom. Yeah, and he's got a best friend, and the two of them, like, whip each other up with their imaginations about what happened, and 
great thing about this book is that you can never really tell if Samuel's suspicions are right on the money or if he's just a nine-year-old with an overactive imagination who misses his mom. And there were times reading this where I thought, like, he's, he's, just, he's just this kid who misses his mom. And it's, it's easier to come up with this story about something terrible befalling her rather than believe that she just decided to get away for a while. But there were other times where I was thinking, man... Ruth is just terrible. Like, she's mean and awful, and I would not put it past her to have done something to Samuel's mom and put her body in the cellar. Uh, and it just goes back and forth uh, like that. And it's it's a real slow burn, like I said. But the ending, like, the last few pages just went somewhere I was not expecting at all but felt totally plausible at the same time. And I, I, it, was, it's, it was a pretty short book. So I'm in, I'm in bed, everyone in my house is asleep and I'm just like, you know what, I can finish this. Yeah, I can finish this just fine. And I did and I put it down and then I just couldn't sleep for like an hour because it was, it was just that, whew. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if, if you like psychological thrillers that are kind of like gothic feeling, like very, very like Rebecca feeling in, in terms of you've got this, this housekeeper that you can't necessarily trust in this big house, um, you should pick up The Boy at the Keyhole by Stephen Giles. And oh, I should mention that, that Stephen Giles, this is his first book for adults, but he writes a middle grade series under a pen name. And, and I, I kind of want to pick up that middle grade series because he does such a good job of getting in the head of this nine-year-old boy that he must, he must be really good at writing these middle grade books. So that's The Boy at the Keyhole by Stephen Giles. And it's time for our first sponsor today is Sheets by Brenna Th Thumbler, and it is out by Cub House, an imprint of Lion Forge, and it's this graphic novel about this girl, Marjorie. She feels like a ghost. She is a practical 13-year-old in charge of the family laundry business, and her daily routine features unforgiving customers, unbearable PE classes, and the fastidious Mr. Sobertalk, who is committed to destroying everything Marjorie has worked for. Wendell is a ghost, for real. He's a boy who lost his life much too young. His, his daily routine features ineffective death therapy, a sheet-dependent identity, and a dangerous need to seek purpose in the forbidden human world. When their worlds collide, Marjorie is confronted by mysterious mishaps as Wendell transforms her laundry into his midnight playground. The Sheets by Brenna Thumbler is in stores now. Yay. All right. I know you wanted to talk about it today. I and did. I was because like, it's the sponsor. I know. And I read it and I loved it. And I get excited whenever I get to talk about a graphic novel and say people should pick it up, which I'm going to do later on in the show with another title. So it's all good. 
That's yeah, it's adorable. I also liked the use of color. There are just yeah. like a few like light pastel the colors. The palette was really was that. really nice. It was it was like fresh laundry, refreshing palette. <laughs> I have no segue, so I'm going to just tell you about my next pick. It is Terra Nullius by Claire G. Coleman. Uh, I ran into the publishers of Small Beer Press last September. Uh, and I said, what book are you excited for in 2018? And Gavin from Smallbeard told me about this one, and he was not wrong. It has since won awards, and it's fantastic. It is like a fictionalized future in Australia based on the past. There is the colony, there are the settlers, and there are the natives. The settlers come in, they decide they don't like how the natives are doing things, they kill a bunch of them, they enslave a bunch of them, they take their children, they send them to a terrible school... Uh, and it's been going on for decades now. There is a young man named Jackie. He's in one of these uh, homes, and he escapes, which is a, a big no-no. Like, Sister Bagra, who runs the home, she's the mother superior. She runs this camp. She's kind of like, as Gwyneth Paltrow says in Sliding Doors, one of my favorite lines, um, she's like Cruella DeVille's less nice sister. Yes. She's like a mix. <laughs> she's like Nurse Ratchet and Miss Hannigan. And even worse, um, she locks the children in boxes, she beats them, she starves them. She's, she's a terrible, horrible person. And she's very angry that one of these ungrateful natives has decided to leave her care, you know, when she's doing all that she can for them. And so she sends up the call. They send out a runner who is a native, but also a tracker. And kind of it's in their best interest to, like, find this kid and bring him back. Uh, they also alert Sergeant Rohan. He sends out a team to look for this guy because um, it'll help his career if they can find Jackie. Now, Jackie has been at one of the schools or the camps for as long as he can remember, so he doesn't really know where he's going, just like sort of a sense of direction uh, where his family used to live. There's a woman named Esperance who lives in a camp with a bunch of other natives. They have been hiding from the settlers. They're like on the very like, far coast, like, hiding out. They just know that someday the settlers are going to come and, and do terrible things. And so they, like, for decades they've been camped out there, like, waiting to run. Um, and then there is the is Devil. Like, he's, no one actually really knows his name. Just that if he finds Jackie, it's going to be bad. It's a really intense debut. It's, the writing is very tight and sparse, but it made the sentences feel like all the more real and hard-hitting. Uh, it's just, it's so fantastic. Now, Terranilius, I had to look it up, means no man's land. James Cook declared Australia to be Terranilius in 1770, oh. um, meaning he didn't think there was anybody there. It was no man's land, despite the fact that 750,000 Aboriginal people lived uh -huh. in Australia. Yeah. Um, and Claire Coleman, this is her debut, and it's unbelievable. Um, she is a writer from Western Australia who identifies with the South Coast Nungar people. Um, it's already, like I said, it's already won a bunch of, of awards. She, in her biography, it says that she wrote this while traveling around Australia in a caravan. It's fantastic. It's going to be one of the big sci-fi books of the year. I would not be surprised if it wins something fabulous, you know, next year when all the sci-fi awards are up again. So again, it's called Terra Nellius, and it's by Claire G. Coleman. Oh, right. Um, my next pick is 
pure inside the evangelical movement that shamed a generation of young women and how I broke free by Linda K. Klein. And it's all right there in the title, really. <laughs> um, but <laughs> this is a, a book that is part memoir, part sociological study about the whole purity industry that took hold of evangelical Christianity starting like around the 1990s. Um, and I, I was a teenager around then at a Catholic school and we would, we would make jokes about leave room for the Holy Spirit during our dances, but it was nowhere near as, as serious as what the author had to grow up with. Um, like all of these messages that she got about women being stumbling blocks to men's faith were just so harmful for her. And she thought that she was alone. But when she was a young adult, she started talking to girls she had known in her youth groups growing up and hearing that so many other women had these same experiences that just totally totally messed with messed with them and who they thought they were and a lot of them a lot of them are are still christians who go to church a lot of them have fallen away from the church a lot of them are living this heterosexual really straight-laced conservative lifestyle as as much as they acknowledge that growing up in this environment was difficult for them. And some of them have taken this long to realize that they are queer or transgender. And it's this whole spectrum of people that she has talked to about growing up in this environment. So you hear all of these stories that just, oh, the first person accounts of the things that these people have gone through are just heartbreaking. And the author herself, she talks about how she believed that she needed to suffer in order to be good, to be a good girl and not a, a Jezebel. And so she let her irritable bowel syndrome progress to such a point without actually speaking up for herself to doctors where she ended up losing her large intestine because she had just suffered in silence for so long because she thought that this would make her a good person. Um, so all these stories are just really heart-wrenching. But then you also have lots of studies that she brings up talking about the ways in which religion and sexuality clash in ways that are ultimately harmful to a person's psyche as they're growing up. So I think that this is a great read for anyone who may have grown up in that environment. And she in no way knocks organized religion specifically, just this preoccupation that parts of it have with sex and purity, especially when all of that 
is focused and concentrated on young girls who are dealing with puberty and that is just a whole awful mess in and of itself without even bringing in any kind of elders in your community telling you that that you're bad news. Um, and anyone who is also just interested in nonfiction with a sociological bent, uh, I think you should check out Pure by Linda K. Klein. All right, following along that stories of young girls. My next pick is Sadie by Courtney Summers. Courtney Summers, book riot favorite. Yeah. This new one is the best of hers that I've read so far, which is saying a lot because she's amazing. Uh, it begins with a podcast introduction. There is a man named uh, West McRae. He's going to be doing a podcast called The Girls. Um, and, you know, he says at the beginning, as with so many, as so many stories do, this begins with a dead girl. Uh, and it's about a teenager named Sadie. Her little sister, Maddie, was murdered when she was 13. Uh, they grew up in a very small town, a very poor town. They had a very hard life. She talks about, like, how her mom fed her bottles filled with Mountain Dew when she was a baby. Um, she lives in poverty. Her mom is no longer in the picture. Uh, and... Maddie was all that Sadie had, and she was murdered. Um, and so Wes McRae was doing this podcast traveling around the country, uh, talking about forgotten small towns, and he sort of overhears the story of Maddie's murder, and then he learns that Sadie has gone missing. She has disappeared, and we learn that she has gone off in search of the man who killed her sister, and she is obsessed with finding him. Um, and the thing that makes this even more spectacular is that the book alternates between podcast transcripts and Sadie's first-person narration. So it's like you're reading the dialogue, like they're writing it as it's being said. But it it really works. Like I have not read a lot, or excuse me, listened to a lot of podcasts. But the you're the in on a podcast. Tone, yeah. Well, I mean, like true crime podcasts. Okay. I should say <laughs> I have not listened to a lot where it's like. You know, here's this person talking, yeah. and then here's this person telling the story. I mean, but I listen to a few. You know, I listen to Serial, all that. So it's like that, and it's so well done. Um, and we just listen to, like, he becomes, West becomes obsessed with finding Sadie um, before it's too late because she herself is becoming more reckless and desperate for revenge. Trigger warning for terrible things happening to young women. Um, it's a, a sad story, but it has a badass heroine, and, you know, Courtney Summers is, is an A++ writer, so it's fantastic. Again, it's called Sadie, and it's by Courtney Summers. All right, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And now I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor. It is Nobody Real by Stephen Camden, which is published by HarperCollins. For years, Marcy has been hitching a ride on the train of her best friend Kara's life. Now there's only one more summer until they're off to college as planned. But Marcy has a secret and time is running out for her to decide what she really wants. Thor was also Marcy's friend before she cast him out and time is running out for him too. But Thor is not real and that's a real problem. This is the story of a teenage girl and the return of her imaginary friend and we guarantee you've never read anything like it. So this is Stephen Cannon's... First book, I think. He's a spoken word poet. Uh, he performs as someone called Polar Bear, which is awesome. That is like, cool. Great name. And it's told from alternate points of view and has some Inception-like qualities. So again, that is out from HarperCollins. It's called Nobody Real by Stephen Camden, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. 
Awesome. Okay, um, I have a graphic novel for my next pick, and this book is Dead Endia by Hamish Steele. That's Steele with an E. Um, and this book, this book was, was one of those things that I, I don't get a ton of physical books at my apartment. I do most of my reading on my my Kindle with the digital galleys, but this is a book that just showed up on my doorstep because the publisher loves me, and I didn't mean to start reading it as soon as I opened my mail, but that's what happened, and it is a really fun, heartfelt graphic novel about demons, so it's about this Guy Barney and his best friend Norma, and they work at an amusement park called Pollywood. It's like Dollywood, except the woman who built it is named Polly. And they work in an area of the theme park that has a haunted house. They are the people in charge of that haunted house. And when it's not being a poorly attended attraction at this amusement park, this haunted house is a portal to hell. So this is something that I think people who enjoyed Buffy would definitely enjoy because these are all a bunch of young adults who are just trying to get their lives together, man. But these demons keep on popping up and they have to keep on battling them. It's also a little bit like Scooby-Doo because one of the first adventures that these people have is a demon coming through the portal and possessing Barney's dog. And once they defeat that demon, the dog Pugsley retains the ability to speak. So he's <laughs> this little dog sidekick then that goes along with them on all of their adventures. And I, I just, it was funny and fun but then there were so many moments that I just found myself almost crying because I was so moved too so if you like Buffy I think you would like this graphic novel if you like oh if you like Steven Universe like the animation is is really reminiscent of that and Hamish Steele has worked for big animation outfits like Cartoon Network and Disney and stuff. So uh, pick up Dead India by Hamish Steele. That's my pick. All right. My thriller candy for the week. I'm not going to tell you very much about it because I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, but... I read this and and there's not too much you can say. <laughs> <laughs> it is Cross Her Heart by Sarah Pinborough. Uh, if you read Behind Her Eyes, Sarah's last book, you remember that the ending of that book, you could not guess what was going to happen, not for a million billion dollars. Uh, this one, Cross Her Heart, there's not really any banana pantsness, which is a word I just made up. Uh, it's a pretty straightforward psychological thriller, and but straightforward, I mean, there's no crazy aspects to it, like Behind Her Eyes. Um, it's about a woman named Lisa. She's leading kind of this quiet life with her teen daughter, Ava. She has a handsome client named Simon who is kind of interested in her. And she's thinking she might go for it. 
but then her daughter Ava saves a boy from drowning. And in the ensuing news coverage, the truth about Lisa's uh, life uh, comes out because they are thrust into the spotlight and suddenly her past comes racing into her new life. And so what is this terrible secret she's holding on to? But it turns out that Lisa is not the only person with a terrible secret. Her daughter also has one, as does her best friend Marilyn. The book is in little tiny, tiny chapters. It jumps between the three women, uh, plus the past and the future, which sounds confusing, but I promise it's not at all. It because she doesn't spend too much time on any one thing, you don't have to try and remember, like, wait, what happened? And it, it all works out, I promise. Um, it's really fast-paced. It's just a really steady, fantastic thriller with no surprise wacky ending. I know that some people, like, I was looking over behind her eyes reviews today, and a lot of people were like, I really like this book until the end. And that's, you know, when I talked about it last year, I was like, the ending is, like, so WTF. <laughs> but I thought that was great. Um, so, this is just lots of fun. I'm really getting into Sarah Pinborough. I can't wait to see what she does next. So, again, it's called Cross Her Heart. It's by Sarah Pinborough. This was my first Sarah Pinborough. Oh, well. Yeah. But I, this was my second. Okay. Although I do have her older series that she published in the UK yeah. that might be out here now. But I haven't read it. But you're right. It's one of those alternating viewpoint books that's actually really easy to read. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we have one more pick before our show's over, and it's mine. And it is Cats versus Robots number one. This is War. It's by Margaret Stoll, Kay Peterson, and Lewis Peterson. And it's a it's a middle grade book, and I it's. <sighs> It's not just, like, the best middle grade book I've read in a while. It's, like, one of the best books I've read in a while. I feel like my favorite middle grade books are books that that don't condescend to children anyway. So they're still something that an adult wouldn't get bored reading. And this is such a sophisticated but accessible story. And the writing is just wonderful. I picked it up because I like cats and robots are lots of fun. And I like Margaret Stoll because she was one of the co-writers for uh, the Mighty Captain Marvel. And she is, is just a writer that I like. So I just wanted to see what, what this was about. And she co-wrote it with her husband, Lewis Peterson, who was a game developer and a robot builder. So he was able to speak to the robot side, I imagine, of cats versus robots. And then you have these little illustrations at the beginning of every chapter. And those were done by Kay Peterson, who is Margaret Stoll and Lewis Peterson's child. And this book is so fun for, I think, if you want to read it by yourself and you're a childless adult, you should go for it. If you are part of a family and you want something that you can read aloud with everybody else, it'll be so much fun. Because cats are this intergalactic species, apparently, who have their own feline empire. And they have been stuck in this long war with the robots who have their own little empire in the galaxy because they are mortal 
enemies. Cats are chaos personified, and robots just want to impose order on everything, and there's no way they can coexist together. Off on this little planet called Earth, there is a cat who was sent there as a scout when he was a much younger kitten, and he sends word back that these humans nearby have discovered a way to prolong a cat's life and give robots an infinite amount of power. They never have to recharge ever again. So all of a sudden, the, the cats and the robots are sending their agents to come and retrieve this magical object from these humans. And the humans who have done this are a mom and dad who work together designing and building robotics. They've got twin children named Max and Min. And Max is this boy who just loves cats. And Min is this girl who is way into robots. And you've got this breaking down of gender stereotypes right there with that. And their parents have to go out of town, which is a perfect opportunity for people to come and try to get their paws or their little robot arms on this magic device. And it's a really lovely story about acceptance, too, because you think you've got these two sides that just can't get along. And in the end of, of this book that does end on a little bit of a cliffhanger because it is Cats versus Robots number one, um, you still have this sense that there's going to be an ultimate resolution that dissolves these binaries between cats and robots and lots of other things where you think this brother and sister aren't going to get along because their interests don't necessarily intersect and that ends up being less and less true too so cats versus robots which i could talk about forever by margaret stoll k peterson and lewis peterson is my last pick for this week all right uh, now get your Muppet arms ready because today is also the release of Book Riot's Read Harder Journal. Go us. Yes, create. Go us. Tell me about this, Liberty. It's out now from Book Riot and Abrams. It's created by Book Riot. It's a smartly designed reading log consisting of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. Evenly interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by Book Riot's annual Read Harder initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. So indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books, get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant, find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press, and so much more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding, and five book recommendations that fulfill the challenge. There's also a great gift for readers. So go to bookriot.com slash readharderjournal to check it out and get yours now. Yay! Yay! So those were our new books. So many others that I could have talked about today. Um, if you get the new books newsletter, you'll see that I've marked off all the ones I love today. Um, so now... MC, tell me what you're going to read next. I am going to read this book that that came out last week 
called Autonomy, the quest to build the driverless car and how it will reshape our world by Lawrence C. Burns. Uh, and this is a book that I'm reading as a personal favor to my spouse because every <laughs> we, we live in New York. We take the subway or we walk, but every time we rent a car and we get in a car, the like the second or third topic of conversation is how awesome it's going to be when there are driverless cars. And I'm just like, really, man, I, I don't know if I can get on board, <laughs> but he's so excited about them. So um, I'm reading up on this so that I can either tell him, okay, I'm with you or you're so wrong. Has he read it? No, he hasn't. He's just really oh. into the idea of driverless cars. Like he's, he's well, read a lot of, of journalism about it, but he hasn't read like an actual book. And I think part of that is because there hasn't really been a whole big book devoted to it because it's so new. But um, I'm going to have some talking points when I'm done with this. Awesome. What about you? Well, thanks to the kids at Print in Portland, I got my hands on one of my most anticipated books of next year. It is Miracle Submarine by Angie Kim. Uh, I'm just going to read you the description because Do, I, please. I, it's amazing. Uh, what is Miracle Submarine? It is what the people of Miracle Creek, Virginia call the hyperbaric oxygen chamber operated by Pac and Young Yu in their backyard. In some medical circles, it is believed that regular doses of 100% oxygen can cure a broad spectrum of conditions. It is also a repository of hopes and dreams, the dream of a single mom that her autistic son can be like other kids and she like other mothers, the dream of a young doctor who goes on dives to cure his infertility and save his marriage, and the great dream of the youths who, like many immigrant families, have come to the United States so their daughter can achieve the American dream. But the miracle submarine explodes and all the dreams are shattered. Who set the fire and why? The authorities have a suspect, but as the murder trial unfolds, the secrets of that night... So many secrets and so many lies, all of them tied to so many dreams, come tumbling forth. Oh, when does that come out? We have to wait, like, until 2019? <laughs> April 16th. Ah, thanks for teasing us, Liberty. I know. I saw it on Alexandria Chi's Instagram a couple months ago, and I was like, I want that. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, that's what I do. Well, have fun with that, as I'm sure you will, because it sounds great. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. I've seen it being compared to Celeste Ng's Everything I Never Told You. So That is awesome. an enviable comparison. Yeah. So that is all for today. Go to g.co slash play slash all the books to get $10 off your first audiobook from Google Play. Thank you to Sheets by Brenna Thumler and Nobody Real by Stephen Canton. We will have links to those in the show notes. And go check out our Book Riot Read Harder journal at bookriot.com slash readharderjournal. Surprise, that's a surprise, you know, like, who knew that was going to be the web address? <laughs> uh, you, can, you can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. Tell us whether you like cats or robots. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I am Miss Liberty. Maria Christina is Meowie Christina. That's M-E-O-W-Y-C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A. You can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, and there are so, so <laughs> many, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.